0: Welcome to the Start New Podcast, where we believe the world around our churches is changing and too many people don't know Jesus. Too many churches and ministries are in danger of becoming museums and starting new ones or turning around existing ones is the best and most effective way to reach the community. My name is Abigail Taylor.
1: And I'm Bill Woolsey. We're part of the leadership team of 5-2 Network and we'll be your hosts. Let's get started. So today we're, we're talking with uh, Bishop Derek LeCakes. He is the president of the Atlantic District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate is, is a conservative branch of Lutheranism here, especially in the United States. We do have some foreign missionaries around the world, but predominantly here in the U.S., and the Atlantic District, it's, uh, it's a very unique district in the sense, first of all, it's called Atlantic, Derek, which always kind of, you know, confused yeah. me in the process. <laughs> but basically, it covers, and I'm going to let you fill in the gaps, but it's the eastern, I guess you'd say the eastern part of New York State, right? You know, Hudson Valley yeah. onto the east. And, yeah. and you're sitting on a bunch of people there.
2: Here's only one or two. As I look out my door, (laughs) I can never see anyone. No. Uh, So the Atlantic District, yeah, the Atlantic District is the eastern half of New York. And so it starts, if you you look at Long Island, all of Long Island, so both counties there, all five boroughs of New York, so all of what people consider New York City. Westchester County going north, uh, straight through the Hudson Valley up to Albany, the capital region, and then straight north actually all the way to Canada is where we cover. Um, in that in that grouping is only about 19 million people very right. small grouping of people um, but you know it's funny because in the city itself you have about eight and a half million Long Island about eight and a half million and then the rest of that covers another two to three but we have all of those different sorts of, of places you'd expect from the most urban to actually some very rural settings as well huh. and everything in between so it's a great place wow.
1: It is, you know, and our work there just briefly with you over the last uh, you know year and a half or so, and getting to know that district, it has been a fascinating experience. And I speak as a Texas boy, you know, who uh, frankly had never even visited New York City until we we began discussing and and then five two started there. So it's been a wonderful time uh, f- for me to just see the incredible variety of God's people. But then also to get get the backstory, in a sense, of your work there. And this is why we wanted to talk, because you, you do lead a district that is a very diverse and in some ways an outlier of sorts. And especially now in this COVID situation, you guys are just... In, in the in the heat of things. Yeah. Before we go there, though, I wanted to just kind of start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, tell us about you and your family, and and, uh, and, and then we'll kind of move then into some how you got to where you are today questions. But first of all, you know, give us a picture of, of Derek Lee Cakes, the man.
2: Sure. Um, well, let me start with my family, because without them, I'm not a whole lot anymore. Uh, they are the love of my life and what helped me make me shine every day. So I have three daughters, Kira, Paige, and Bryn. Um, Kira is a a senior in college. Uh, Paige, my middle one, is a freshman in college. And my youngest, Bryn, uh, is a junior in high school. And so they, they scatter that, that range for me. But three daughters, and that's how I know that God has a sense of humor, wanted to give me a little patience, and that's a blessing. So that's a good thing. Married to my wife, Amy, who is a Lutheran educator. Uh, she's a school counselor at one of our Lutheran high schools here in the city. Um, and, uh, and I was born and raised in New York. And so we're fr- originally from upstate Albany, the Albany area. Uh, but my grandparents were down in the Astoria. And so I have spent literally my entire life in parts of New York, uh, both as a DCE, a director of Christian education. Uh, that's how I served the church initially, and then went on to seminary. And uh, my my call as a my first call as a pastor was to a parish in Niskayuna, New York, uh, which is a suburb between Albany and Schenectady. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> and I love life. This is the only place I've ever served.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you you have all girls, so uh, I, I know a l- little bit of what you speak, but not in the triplet <laughs> kind of way, that, or the, the tri kind of way that you talk about. So, so Derek, you you know you have had a, a fascinating journey. Uh, you you said DCE, and and, and again, and, and our tribe director of Christian education, but you actually started as a camp director, right? I mean, you were a camp director and then you became a parish pastor. And now you lead and care for almost a hundred congregations and, and the men and the women who serve those congregations, lead those congregations. So what are some words that you would use to describe that journey? Probably one of the more fascinating journeys that I'm aware of in, in leaders. of Well, I, you know, it's funny
2: as I look back at my life, um, one of the things that prepared me, I think the most for what I do today is being a camp director. Um, and, and you deal with, for me, it was dealing with all different sorts of people. And and we dealt with, you know, the young kids as well as, uh, seniors with older adult programming that we did throughout the year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But the, the idea of having to make do sometimes with not enough, mm-hmm. um, trying to figure out, uh, Situations on the fly, being able to pivot uh, at a moment's notice. Uh, if the weather changes, you can't go out on the lake, and so there are all of those uh, all those decisions that need to be made. But just working with a variety of different people through the camp setting uh, was such a blessing. Seeing a variety of worshiping opportunities, um, just talking and getting to know people at different stages of their life and different stages of faith development. Um, so that was awesome. And then being in UNA Um, as a parish pastor, you know, actually seeing how the church operates. And I was in a smaller church um, that really struggled and was struggling in the Mm -hmm. beginning. Um, And to watch how God used them uh, to grow that church, Uh, how God can give, can work through individuals to really, um, to shine a light in the midst of darkness and watch them grow and flourish uh, and see that there can be hope. Uh, when they didn't think there was any hope. Because quite literally, when they called me, the thought was they were going to close. And, and that's, that's where they had, they had gotten to, to that point of where they thought that the congregation was gonna close. Um, they were given some money immediately in that moment that allowed them to call a pastor. And that was the beginning, that was my first call as a pastor,
1: so. Yeah, wow. it's always fun what to get of... once we're, go, go ahead, Abigail.
0: What kind of growth did you guys experience? At the church. So when you came, where was it? And then whenever you left?
2: So, uh, so when I first came, there were about uh, 20 people that were worshiping together. And I remember that, uh, the joke that I, and if you know my humor, this is actually a real thing that happened in my head. And I apologize (laughs) for that. But, um, I kind of laughed and I chuckled the first day and I'm like, well, Lord, thank you for making me such an incredible evangelist that I could grow the church by 25% on my first Sunday. (laughs) Um, Because with my family of five, immediately we went from 20 to 25. But uh, for me, what was even more amazing, and, and this was the real prayer afterwards was Lord help me to do it again. Help us to grow to something where, where we can be a light for the gospel and engage the community around us with the hope. That you give us, and so what we saw over years, and, and there was a bunch of healing that was taking place in the beginning and continues on to this day. Um, but uh, we grew from uh, 25 to about 80 to 85, and and then it dropped off a little, and then went up again. And you know that's that's about right. uh, the timing of where then I was called elsewhere okay. in this position, okay. actually. <laughs> oh this, wow!
1: And, okay. Yes, and and really, I think that there is. Uh, I wouldn't say symptomatic, uh, realistic, I guess, uh, in the churches, as you look on the East Coast, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the area uh, of, of the cities and the more urban settings, you don't find a lot of very large churches. Uh, on one mm-hmm. hand, it's, there's such a, a, almost antagonism at times. And I know even in hearing, talking to a number of the people with the uh, anti uh, the deep Roman Catholic presence there, and all that the Catholic Church went through, and so and the other congregations, other denominations, kind of suffered some of that antagonism as well. Then, and and Yeah, region.
2: yeah. You you become a representative of of all of Christendom, mm-hmm. and so whether you be with Rome or or Lutheran or um, Baptist to some extent, we all get lumped together. And and as as Rome went through some difficulties, and, and really the Christian mm-hmm. church went through some yep. difficulties uh, back 10, 20 years ago, uh, they they were reflected on everyone. It didn't matter who you were or what you had done uh, yourself, but it reflected on you. And and that became a struggle. But one of the things I love about this place, and this is throughout New York, whether it be upstate or, or here in the city, is there still is that love and respect for the office. And so, for instance, I can literally walk down the street, and this has happened to me. Um, and and you can have a, a, a couple just ask you, hey, could you say a prayer, Father? Could you say a prayer for me? Or um, there was a pregnant woman once that that said, Father, Father. She ran over, she grabbed my hand, put it on her stomach, and said, Will you give my my baby a blessing? Well, of course I'm going to do that. There's <laughs> there's no question. Um, and and so that's you know that's the other part of that. And so you play both both worlds to some extent here because there's also a whole group that really doesn't know who Jesus is. I mean, that's you hear about this in seminary at times that I remember as a DCE in my training that they, there'll be places you go where they won't know the stories of Jesus. Most places I go, they know about Jesus. Here in in the city where you have literally hundreds of different languages that are spoken, different cultures that are represented, there are people here that don't know who Christ is, that don't know what the significance of Christmas or Easter, um, they don't understand these things. And yet at the same time, living right next to them, you have uh, people that have been so engrossed in this their entire lives that they know everything about it. And, and that's one of the beautiful things about our neighborhoods is you have every, everyone that's jammed together uh, to some extent that is um, in community together.
1: You know that was that was probably one of the fascinating things that that struck me when we were doing the assessment phase and just visiting church after church after church and walking some of the neighborhoods and was the there is a deep and and I'll talk now New York City proper, but then also the boroughs there's a deep spirituality and you have a lot of the the religious leaders where uh, for lack of a better term, uniforms that identify them as religious leaders. And so you have this almost uh, uh, honoring of religious leaders. Right. And so, all you know, all the guys that I know of, you know, uh, 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 the, that you're working with, they all have the collar, they all wear the collar. If you drop that collar into Burnett, Texas or Austin, Texas or something, it would not be received in the same way. But in New York City, it is actually a benefit to make connections with people Uh, because of there is this this deep spiritual presence there that I don't think is fully appreciated at times by people.
2: I agree with that. I I think there is a both and, and, and I always share that with my own guys that, you know, Yeah, it's a great tool and can be a powerful thing. And I shared some of those stories. But there's also the sense that even in plain clothes or normal clothes, um, people, sometimes it doesn't put up a wall immediately. And uh, just a quick, another quick story. I still remember being in an elevator once um, and a guy looked at me and, and just literally just looked at me with daggers in his eyes and he goes, I don't think it's right what you all did to those little boys. I had no idea what we were talking about. I was, this was a hospital elevator. I'm going up to visit one of my members uh, that's, you know, on her deathbed. And, and so this just caught me off guard and I'm just looking at him like, what are you talking about? Then it, then it clicked for what he what he meant. And I just replied, you know, yeah, I don't. I don't think of that either. It, I think that was just—it's plain wrong. But also, I've been on the train or the subway with my family and just engaged in conversations with with people, um, just everyday people, and just being in plain, plain clothes sometimes allows for a conversation to occur with other people, and you have both sets there that that are at playing. But I agree with the deep spirituality. There is an incredible respect at times for for the office, and and you can see that all the time.
1: Well, kind of uh, before we get into just y'all's situation now and COVID and how you, the church, the capital C church, but then especially what you oversee and work with, how that's doing. You know, the other thing that struck me there, and I continue here. Matter of fact, I was on a call last week with uh, I think I mentioned to you Stephen Bauman, who used to be one of the bishops yep. uh, out there uh, as well, and and the. Uh, more than I've, I've experienced on the West Coast, uh, gosh, on the far north, any parts of our church body, at least, the uh, desire and willingness for for you and other leaders to work together with the greater church in, in New York City. And there is an appreciation that we're part of the body of Christ and that goes beyond just our, our own personal denominational labels. Yeah,
2: you know, like I said before, there's there's people out there that really don't know the stories, and um, our churches are smaller than you know. We talk about mega churches in other places, and and while New York does have mega churches, don't get me wrong, we don't have many Lutheran mega churches. Last I checked, um, and and so as we look at that, there is this opportunity to be the church together. Um, it doesn't mean we have to be at the same a table in terms of communion and some of those other issues, but it it doesn't it all it does mean that we can do some greater good uh, for for large swaths of people, um, and so as we talk about social justice issues, as we talk about just feeding people, there are things that we can do when we pull our resources together that separately we can't, um, and it's incredible when you think about the the millions of people that the church and the church as a whole represents in New York. And and that's what we find is that we have, we're able to talk in ways with government that normally others can't. Because all of a sudden, when we pool those resources together, um, they understand that we're representing millions of people, not just 100 people here or there. Okay,
0: okay. So just to give some context, just to our listeners, because you made the comment about like the size of church. So I think that Mm -hmm. would be helpful. So what's y'all's average, you know, what is the average size of a church in New York City? So what are we talking about?
2: So uh, for for Lutheran churches, um, for who I oversee, so we have 100 churches that um, we normally say about, about 60 of them have 60 or less in worship on a given Sunday. Um, okay. And we have probably 25-ish that are, I would say, 120 or more on a given Sunday. Um, okay. So that's, that's really our range. And I think our largest, um, you're only talking about probably 300 in worship as our largest would be Jeff's
1: okay. Jeff church there, Jeff Brown. Say whoever the largest is,
2: is now going to send me a note <laughs> saying, are you kidding me? And and I'll be corrected at that point.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. I just think that's helpful, you yeah. know, as we've got listeners all over the country and our, sure. our definitions of, of large and small mm-hmm. are different depending on our cultural context, so.
1: A great point.
2: And one of the things, you know, one of the things we struggle with always is the idea of membership. Um, we have people that are connected with churches that are much greater than what a typical worship on a Sunday might be. And so they might be connected with a, uh, a homework helping group after, uh, during the, during the weekdays, or they get food from that place. But oftentimes they still consider that pastor, their pastor. So if they go in the hospital or something happens, the first call they make mm-hmm. is to their pastor. And I, I don't put quotes up because I really think that's true. Um, but but it's not that they're joining something. And it's the same thing I know nationwide. Uh, what membership means and how often we go to worship has changed dramatically in my lifetime. And really in the last, I would say, what, decade, 20 years?
1: Right, 10 to 15 years. Yeah, we yeah. talk a lot about belonging and how people feel they belong. Mm. Or, you know, we, we encourage people to think about calling a church home. Mm. So you'll have these people who call it their home home, but they've never joined. And, uh, and are really unsure of what that means, right? (laughs) That it's their home, but it's their spiritual place to go to if they need something. Yep. So, so Derek, talk to us a little bit then about, let's kind of move into uh, nowadays, modern, modern time. Uh, Again, you're on the front line there. uh, Y'all are and with the the COVID-19 situation and how it just went through New York City more than any other place around the country uh, what what do you see during this time right now uh, I, I guess if you were what would you say your your swing thought you know what has been your key thought as you lead uh, in this crisis right now kind of what what are you what is your focus uh being at the season
2: so my focus has been how do I how do I help how to Prepare my pastors, my workers, my churches um, with what's coming next. How can they be equipped to uh, deal with what's going to happen to them? And I wish I could say a month from now, but the reality is, what can I? How can I prepare them for what's going to happen three days from now or five days from now? Because that's really been the the change that we have seen, um, moving from a yeah we can do limited worship. <clears throat> we can do limited worship to you can 't be in your church building at all. That happened in a shift of I think it was two days. Um, we went from it was that Sunday that many were deciding to cancel, but they said you could have up to i think it was fifty at the time and then Monday, quite literally they said no more and and that 's when everything just started to spike and and everything began to change overnight but But as that has occurred and, and as our our time frame has accelerated it hasn't been just about worship. Uh, everything has changed and helping uh, our churches think through what this means, whether it be digital worship or whether it be, okay, you can't be in a hospital at someone's bedside as they're dying, or you can't be in a funeral home to do a funeral. How do we do these things? How, how do we do a baptism for a baby that's born? Um, you know, how do you do a marriage? How do you do, how do you do these other things that are a part of, of church? How do I speak into the fear of, uh, of a family that has lost someone when I can't be there to hold their hand or to give them a hug? I can still cry with them. And I do that. Um, you know, and that's what we're finding is this is great to have, um, a video conference, but there are things that we still miss. And so how do we work through that? How also do we take care of ourselves in the midst of an ongoing pandemic that's not over in a week, but now it stretches right. on between 45 to 50 days and beyond. So that's my yeah. swing thought is how do I prepare them to keep moving forward? That's where I was.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you said, it, uh, it, it's hard to look out so far, too far when everything's still so chaotic and uncertain, you know, three steps ahead. Uh, you don't well, want to step and, up on the ice that goes through, breaks through, or whatever.
2: For me, it's preparing them to also know that what comes, what we're hearing today, does not necessarily mean one, it's correct, or two, it's what we're going to be dealing with two days from now. And so everyone's getting prepared to reopen, which, very honestly, there's a part of me that is joyous about that, but there's also a part of me that is fearful of that because. I don't want to know what the mental capacity of the group is when, when and if we have to go back to the same posture, we open, we go back, everything spikes and then to have to return back because all of your hope was in that moment that everything's going to return to normal. And so that's been a big part of what we've been trying to do is, is help people understand this is the new normal. This isn't going away, you know, masks, like for us, masks in public, you know, uh, gloves and, and the like, all of those are, are personal protective equipment that we're supposed to be wearing. And so when I go out, I wear a mask, mostly because this is what my government has asked me to do. And, and I want to respect that. Um, but that's going to be a part of our return to worship. And there's parts that we won't be able to have. It's helping people mitigate uh, their expectations, but also remember that we might have to step back into the same posture in the future. That's what I mean by helping prepare them for what's coming and and what may come. Mm.
1: So there's definitely a, a and, and again, I've heard this from you more than from other leaders, but there's a huge emotional preparation mm. of, of how do they just handle the, and I would even say, and we're actually going to talk about this coming up here, but and a, a huge identity because, like you just said, if I was a pastor and this is how you know I was at a bedside, or I did this A B C D, or this funeral this way, or this wedding this way, and now I can't do it that way, uh, what what does my life look like? How do I, in a, in a sense, bring value? How do I bring Jesus? And and presence is a huge part of that, right? But if I can't be present, what does that what does that mean look like?
2: Right, and for me, it's it's that that sense of you know. It's funny, I read through uh, one of the, my theology books from seminary the other day, and, and I was looking just through it. It was something that was written, I think, in the 40s, um, but so often they, they emphasize that sense of being physically present. And so for us, it becomes, and I think this is important for everyone, this isn't just pastors, this is everyone. So how do we become physically present when I can't be next to you? How can I still interact with you? How can I still connect with you? Um, and, and so I think I have a daughter that's out in California right now. And I have to tell you that one of the scariest times of my life is right now having her not with me because there's no control that I have. And I know I shouldn't have control. She's my daughter. She's grown up.
1: Yeah. Well, you don't have control <laughs> issues anyway, so you're fine no, not
2: at all, <laughs> but but just being able to connect with her through text, being able to connect with her. We played a, we played a game the other night um, via, I think it was Zoom, one of the video conference things, um, and just having some presence that way. Um, it was a neat connection. It was, it was almost like she was there, present with us, huh. even though obviously uh-huh. she's not. But, but it was neat because she was interacting with us and we were doing things together as, as a whole family. And we were assured that, that she was okay, but she was also assured in that moment that, that we were okay. And, and it plays both ways. And that's one of the things that I, I've been encouraging our churches to remember, that it's not just about worship. Worship is an important part of our, um, our spiritual development and, and our psychological uh, um, comfort. It's also about the social side. That, that coffee hour that happens after church, is a time where members connect in a very real way. And we are the body of Christ as we uphold one another, as we pray for one another, um, as we find strength from one another. And so to look at some other ways that, that we can still connect that you would normally on a Sunday morning or during the week. So how can we do that in a very different way? Because I can't just go to your house and have a cup of coffee with you. Um, And so it's, it's, it's been figuring that stuff out as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the the whole digital thing and presence is is uh, fascinating, and obviously, some people were already there, right? Mm. Uh, yes. One of the podcasts I routinely listen to uh, talks about workforces distributed around the world, and they're you know they, they travel and do their work from all these kind of places, and that's their quote unquote connectivity. Uh, and now to be forced into that, on one hand, you're right; it's a huge, huge blessing that that we have this, but it's also, it, it does reveal some of the intimate things that just being present with people uh, is, is so, so powerful. And there's a part of our soul and psyche that need it. Yep. Uh, so you have a lot of emotional issues going on right now. Uh, well, so, so Derek, what do you think, uh, what do you think are some of the key learnings? And I think maybe you, you talked on this some, but what are some of the key learnings that you hope you're, your pastors and, and other leaders take out of this crisis? <laughs> That's
2: a great question. Um, I, you know, one of those things that, that is, has really been weighing on me is um, that question of how we are present with one another. You know, so often we think of that as physical presence, meaning being able to to be there in touch, which I will never discount because there is a part of that. I think no matter what physical touch just is a part of our lives and we are physical beings, but how important, um, a voice, a known voice can be. Um, that's one of the things that I think all of my, all, all of my workers have, have really understood, whether it be my teachers or my pastors or deaconesses or others is that, I think they're amazed sometimes at, at how important just a phone call to someone um, can lift their spirits and you can hear it in their voice or you can see it in their demeanor as you begin to talk. They're surprised
1: to them. by it, right? Yes. It's like, Oh, you actually took the time to do that. And it's so yeah. unusual, you know?
2: Well, and, and why, you know, th- that's what I'm struck by. And we all have time and I get that, but um, we all have time issues, but, but the reality to be able to pick up a phone or send a text, um, that's what I have, I've, I've connect, personally, I've connected with people through things that I'm doing just via, um, just fun things. They don't all have to uh-huh. be, it doesn't all have to be spiritual stuff. It can just be fun you're, things. So
1: you're, the fun thing, though, your fun thing you're alluding to, <laughs> I know, is, is every afternoon, at what, six o'clock New York time or something? What about, something like it, that? Part of it depends on
2: what I'm done for the day. But, yeah, when <laughs> I stop to have, to have dinner is normally when it occurs. Um, I send out a little text to a group of people, and it's it's I want what, I, what, what, we, what we what we I, I refer said. to as daily quarantini time. And so every day has been a different uh, quarantini or or martini or some sort of drink. Um, but it, it it roves the spectrum, and some of them are very good, some of them are not so good. But that's just been fun sending that out. But what I'm amazed at is the conversation right. that gets built up around that. That's what I'm, I, I think is even, even better and it's forced me to go on. This started between just me and my family. So my brothers, I have two uh, older brothers, my mother, my father, um, my daughter in California. I sent it out to them. That was the first one. And it was just an inspiration. I took a picture of my drink and I sent it out to them. And, and all of a sudden we had this 30-minute conversation via text. My family never talks. We talk when we get together at, at uh, You're holidays. Greek.
1: You're Greek, yeah. <laughs>
2: but, but normally, we're just when we're together in person, we love to talk, we love each other, but we never texted each other, you know, rarely. And now we have this text chain that every day we're connecting. And from there, it grew to, I think there's like 35 people I text every day now. So <laughs> it's a good 30 minutes of my life every day, which oh. is, it's good for me too, though, to be honest. I enjoy it.
1: So, So one of the learnings, then to kind of wrap that one would be, the power of connecting, the yeah. power of of letting people know they're, they're in your thoughts that you really do care and how that communicates, you care about them just by reaching out. Yeah, yep.
2: The power so, of connection, I think that's a huge thing.
1: Okay, okay.
0: But it's really so, that so, personal high touch connection. Uh-huh. So not just an email, not just a Facebook post, but you really hope people latch on to the, specific calling and texting how that's more powerful
2: i think they all have their place but i i do think there's something about a one-on-one connection and the only way you can replace that is through a one-on-one um either mode in Right. right in this sense it's a text or whatever else but there is a difference there because the Facebook post does, you know, you get the responses, you look at it, you're like, Oh, look, I got a 32 views got 100 or likes. I uh, Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> 75,000 likes. Yeah. I never got that. But, um, but, then, really? <laughs> but, yeah, then, ooh, wow. but that one-on-one <laughs> thing is uh, it, that one-on-one just, it changes the dynamic and it allows that interaction. That is, I think much closer to what, what we see at a dinner table or at a bedside.
0: Um, right. That's the what's thing. missing right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I was struck by Travis Yee, one of your pastors, telling us, gosh, this is probably the first week of y'all's stay at home. Mm-hmm. And he said how he had done a, quote, shut in visit via iPad with uh, I think she was 92 or 93 year old, one of his members and how tickled she was. And she was, v- she knew her iPad. I guess her kids had set her up, somebody had set her up and she could do a FaceTime call on that iPad and it was just lovely. And I thought how cool that was. Yeah,
2: I agree. Uh, That's was neat.
1: So, so when, uh, when, when things get back to normal, uh, your new normal again, what, what are some changes of your approach you think of how, you're going to see your churches doing church. Do you see them pretty much saying we've got to keep the digital piece here and we're going to figure that out. And are you at the, at the, at the office, you know, at the district office where y'all help these congregations, mm-hmm. are y'all going to be speaking into that some too, or what are you seeing there? So
2: there's a couple of learnings that, that have come from that. So yeah, yes, I, I do think um, digital worship in some way, shape or form, will continue where where we are, because we are the epicenter or whatever you want to call it, because this has been such a a harsh reality for us, I think there is much more reticence for us returning, and this isn't everywhere because it's not the same across the district. in the city is different. Long Island huh. is similar to the city in many respects, um, as they've struggled with this but um, but there is a reticence to coming back to worship. So they're yeah, working through that. Um, I think there's a reality for us that we, I, I dare say, I don't want all of the members coming back to church. Um, for for me, example would be my mother. Um, my mother, who is has a few years behind her. She's not old. I did not say she was old. Um, who has a few years behind. Make <laughs> we'll make sure,
1: and, we'll, we'll make sure <laughs> and edit this part out.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> that you know she doesn't need to return the first Sunday. She still does need to protect her health. And there are so many of our members, you know, for me, as I look at the numbers and and this is part of my reality, and this is why I think life is so hard for me right now Hmm. is that we have about a third of our churches that have been directly affected by a death. Um, So that's roughly 30, 30 churches have had at least one death,
0: Hmm.
2: but there are churches that have 10, there are churches that have 20 Deaths that are from COVID, um, COVID related, wow. and and so these aren't positive cases. These are deaths that yes. have occurred uh, of people that have, that have had that, and so we've lost the equivalent of one of our medium sized congregations or two small congregations um, in terms of membership wow. from this. That reality is part of what drives us. And so yeah, digital. I you know I was just actually just working on these guidelines before I I got on the call with you. Um, that reality of digital worship, digital Bible study, digital meetings, that needs to be a part of us because I don't believe this just disappears come this summer. I I do believe as in my reading and in my opinion, that we will see another wave or multiple waves. Um, and so we need to be prepared. Why would you tear down something that's working, especially when you have a a segment that, that needs this directly, Mm. but also people appreciate this. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge for us is going to be showing them the importance of both that there are times where digital worship is appropriate, but there is also time there is something to be said about us gathering together as the body of Christ and and still coming together in worship in that other way
1: right that that still mm-hmm. that physical touch mm-hmm. is is still is so much of what it means to be human and uh what it means to to sense that you really are connected to other people. Yep. So yes, well then, yeah, definitely that on the the whole digital, which has been fascinating to watch, on one hand, churches that would say we're never going to do that have immediately switched overnight, realizing that this is something that needs to happen. But then also now, like you said, experiencing the joy of seeing their pastor or, uh, you know, and, and and being a part of that and understanding and appreciating the power of it. So Excellent. Uh, kind of, kind of switching to a couple of, of questions that we we like to ask. Uh, so, so we're going to ask you three questions here. First of all, what's your your favorite spiritual book that you've read recently? This, I guess, this nineteen forties theological tome might count. Is there...
0: a
2: favorite. I, that was not my favorite. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: Phew. Okay. No. There's no wrong answer. No. What, yeah. There's no. right. <laughs> but seriously,
1: what's 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 your go-to like a book that just recently said to you, "Wow, this really this really helps me."
2: Well, obviously, it's the Bible.
1: I know that's why we we are going to ask <laughs> yeah, other questions you know,
2: too. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, you know, it, it's funny. One of the resources I use as a part of my my personal devotions. And this wasn't the one I was thinking of initially, but um, there's a, a book by John Bailey, oh, uh, a, a Diary of Private Prayer.
1: It's right here. Here you go. It's Mine's on my green. shelf. Okay. Yeah. Our Here's whole family green. has
0: that book. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my wife
1: my wife got us all
0: this.
2: I, I have found, you know, I have found that just to be one of those those blessings in my own life, and what I am amazed huh. by is how how much some those prayers can reflect my day. I mean, here I am in the middle of COVID and and the prayers that are written from him still apply to my life. And, and it's just, I think it's very well done. Uh, beyond that, yeah, that N- may- N.T. Wright is the other one that <laughs> I love. N.T. Wright, okay. Yeah.
1: Any particular one of his lately?
2: Um, just finishing uh, After You Believe. Um, huh. It's about Christian character and why that matters. And uh, just it's okay. been a fascinating read.
1: Okay, good. What about what about your favorite non spiritual book that you've read recently? So this is you know I mean you know me I think everything's spiritual, but I mean I was just going to say not, that's... not non I know I know, but not <laughs> non church or Lifeway didn't publish it or something like that, you know so. Hmm
2: you're making me think I'm okay just trying to th- see behind me is my my books that's this is the this is the pile of books that used to be next to my bed um, now i have a movable bookcase that hides other things during zoom conferences <laughs> um gosh
1: do you read fiction at all you know uh
2: I do. I read some fiction, but the one that comes um, what is it? Uh story brand. Um
1: oh okay, yeah, by Donald uh, Miller. Yeah, yes, building a that's story the one. brand. Yes by
2: Donald
0: Miller.
1: Yeah.
2: That was that was a, a recent completion of mine that uh thoroughly enjoyed. And oh, uh really good. not you know, I see spiritual overtones and, and what that means for me, but but that's not what right. it's about at all. So no. Yeah. no,
1: but but the arc of story and how yes. to how to uh, share that? Yeah, we we use that a lot actually in mm. teaching people how to fundraise and teaching people how to preach. It just yep. it goes throughout even write emails. So uh, excellent. Yep. So so Derek, last all to kind of wrap wrap up here. Uh, how are you? How are you personally? You know, you've alluded to it a couple times here in in today's call. But how are you? How are you doing? How are you handling? this this marathon because it truly is I and mean, you're at the upper center y'all are geographically but then you personally are uh, it, it feels it seems to me finding yourself uh true and i don't mean this negatively over your past but you sure. are having to be bishop at another level mm-hmm. in this crisis and so how are you you know how do you how are you doing um, you know,
2: that's a, a much harder question to answer than you may think. Um, cause by and large, you know, I, I feel good. I have found, I have found myself in this, uh, requiring of myself to do certain things. And so I'm, I'm much more cognizant about my sleep. I'm much more cognizant about my own exercise, um, even about what I'm eating, uh, just because I know, I know the hours that I have to put in and I know the other parts of this. Um, also looking at family time and making sure that I'm, I'm there for my family, but I'll be honest. There are, there are times that, um, quite literally that I have found myself just in tears and it's been weird things, um, was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about, <laughs> they were talking about a family that, uh, the, the wife had dropped off the husband at the hospital. And this was, gosh, this is probably four weeks back. So about a week and a half in, um, And so before Easter, and uh, so she dropped her husband because they figured out that he had COVID. And so this is before major testing and all that thing had happened. Um, He went into the hospital and when she went in in to, to go in to be with him, they refused her admittance. And all of a sudden, for me, this was before we had experienced a lot of deaths, but I started thinking about the people I already knew had died, about the people that I had been talking through pastors and in terms of what they can and cannot do and how we can minister to people in the hospital when we can't be present with them. Um, and names started coming to mind and, and that was, that was a struggle. And so it's things, you know, it's, it's odd because there's a part of me that is able to just put it down and you rise to the occasion, but then there's little things that just sneak in and, um, little moments of just happiness that are, are good things, um, that just bring tears to the eyes. Um, and, and so there is an, uh, there's an emotional toll that's being waged on all of us. And, and I would say that for all my workers, that there, there really is uh, an emotional toll that's being taken that we don't always know about uh, and we're not quite aware of. That's actually my concern for moving forward um, is what's next. Everyone wants to get back to normal. And for most people, that's a joy. For the church, we continue to work with those people as they come back and, and there is, I would say, as much if not more work to done in, in the return. And as we go back and forth, if that happens, um, then now. So that's, that's, so. There's, there's concerns for me too for that. Um, but overall, I think I'm doing quite well, to be honest. Um, my family is safe. My family is, is healthy. Um, as far as I know, I'm healthy. Uh, and my humor is still there. But, but it still takes an emotional toll. And and I would be a liar to say that it doesn't and that it's not.
1: Well, I, I've, I've enjoyed uh, watching Amy's Facebook posts on her. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm trying to think how she titles it, like lockdown, blessing number, whatever, day 39 yeah. or whatever it is. I can't remember and, what
2: it is either. It's uh, like the joyful. Right. It's, uh, it's I wonderful.
1: Know. I mean, it really is. It's like a totally different spin. And it's like. Wow! Fantastic, and and I think of you often. And for to have your wife going, okay, look, here's here's a good thing that's coming out of this for us. Mm-hmm. So, well, how can we, as people listen to this podcast, how could they particularly be praying for you and for the church there in in New York?
2: You know, for the prayers, um, I would start with all those on the front lines. Uh, I talk with medical directors. I talk with doctors and nurses and, um, you know, I talked about the emotional toll on my pastors, but, and workers, but on them, this is a whole different level. And even those that are used to death, uh, this is a very different thing and what they're dealing with. So all of those that are, are staffing our hospitals, our first responders, um, prayers there for the church here, it's, um, Prayers of strength, prayers of peace, prayers of interaction as as we can have conversations um, of of sharing the hope that we have. You know, one of the things we say in the Atlantic District is our, our our motto is engaging the world with the gospel of hope. So, how we can engage those around us with the hope that God has given us, especially in the midst of crises. Um, so, what we can do, and that's one of the hard things right now, is that we're stuck at home so much that you know, oftentimes you can go get blood, you can go do this or that or the other thing, you can rush to the disaster and muck out their house. You can't do that here. And so finding those things and, and opportunities that we can speak into lives. Um, and so if I may, that that's one of the things that we have started in the Atlantic District is we've started a collection of uh, masks and we're handing them out. Uh, we gave 400 to um, a precinct up in the Bronx. Uh, we gave about 600 now out to suffolk county in long island um and they're being used among um some of the poor communities just handed out to to people in need um and so it's finding things that we can do and how we can bring hope in the midst of this that would be for me the biggest prayer
1: okay well Derek, let me wrap us up with the word of prayer here today so thank you Father, I thank you for my brother, Derek. Uh, thank you so much for his faithfulness in serving you and in leading your church in New York. Uh, thank you for Amy, his wife, his daughters, and the family that you've surrounded him with so that as he goes through this day in and day out, he can return home and be assured of your love for him uh, through through his kids and through his spouse. Father, I pray for him as he encourages those under him. I pray that you give him wisdom and insight as he brings peace to them, uh, even as there is so much uncertainty still in this part of the country. We pray your blessing upon the church at large in New York, Father, that the congregations there would be equipped to bring your gospel of hope, that good news of Jesus, and the life that he gives us uh, to those in need in their communities. So bless all of those who are working on the front lines And bless those men and women who are shepherding and caring for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Hey, y'all. It's Abigail. Here at 5-2, we have been talking with pastors and nonprofit leaders about how fast change has happened in the last six months, endangering churches and nonprofits more than ever before. We all agree people's priorities and habits have changed and new ways of thinking like starting or turning around churches and nonprofits are necessary to reach the changing communities. For the past five years, we have provided face-to-face training that has launched over 40 sustainable ministries around the country. Our curriculum is based on Bill's 30 plus years of startup experience, his extensive research on entrepreneurial leadership, and most recently feedback from 25 global network leaders. We want to make this training and peer-to-peer process available online to congregational and nonprofit leaders. However, we want to get a sense of the demand so we know how much time slash resources to invest in this new model. If you are interested in an online cohort-driven process that focuses on starting or turning around churches and nonprofits to reach their changing communities, go to 52.com slash survey and answer three questions. As a team, we hate surveys, so we purposefully made this one super short with no hidden questions. If you want to effectively reach your changing community, go to 52.com slash survey do the survey, and then get access to the first cohort at a greatly reduced cost. That's five, slash survey, do it now and get a super sweet deal on the first cohort three minutes. Seriously. That's all it'll take. You can also find the link in the show notes of this episode. Thanks in advance and have a great week.